0: Amen.
1: program after a fairly long hiatus is our very own aviation correspondent Mr. Vladimir Zarevika, or is it Captain Zarevika? It is Captain Zervika, but you can call me Vladimir. <laughs> All right, or Vlado, is it what you go by generally? Uh, Vlado. Indeed. We got to talk aviation because there was a there was a crash here at SFO uh, earlier this month with uh, which everyone's heard about by now Air- Asiana Airlines did not quite make the runway, hit a seawall, sheared the tail off, had a bit of a stink about the whole thing. three only three fatalities fortunately could have been so much worse and I just know you've got some opinions about what happened
0: I, I do indeed I was uh, I was on a layover in a hotel room when the news broke and I did watch the first hour of coverage. And uh, I do want to cover something uh, off the get-go where you said it could have been worse. It absolutely could have been worse. And I've uh, heard it said that it's a miracle that uh, so few people were injured. And I actually would like to give credit where credit's due. And that's a three 3 different uh, groups of individuals need credit for this. Okay. The first group is the Boeing engineers <laughs> who designed and built the Boeing 777 which did not disintegrate on impact and it did not explode it caught fire and you know the difference what it between catching fire later on and exploding on impact the difference is a casualty account from single digits that could have been everybody in the hundreds sure, had sure. it actually exploded or disintegrated down the air, uh, down uh, the runway as it was merely uh, tumbling i got to pause you i got to pause you sure. right there To
1: cite the fact that in a previous visit to this program, which I want to highly recommend to our listeners, you described what happened, a little mishap that happened while you were piloting a Boeing up in Canada, where a hailstorm basically looked like your whole aircraft had been hit by a ball-peen hammer in about a million places. And yet you came out of it okay. You certainly advocated for Boeing back then, and and obviously you're still in the Boeing camp now.
0: Yes, I'm am, I'm am in a Boeing camp, and I fly even a more sophisticated Boeing now than I did back then. Not quite as sophisticated as the triple seven or the uh, or the seven eight seven, but it's still a Boeing. And uh, if you, I might have uh, said this back then, uh, Doug. And as a uh, fan of history, aviation history, you might have seen pictures of uh, the B seventeen coming back over from a mission over Europe with half the the tail shot off, and and uh, the historical pictures out there missing part of the wing. Well, that B-17 bomber was made by Boeing, and that is the great-great-grandpappy of the 777 that held together as it was uh, sliding down the runway after the tail had been um, uh, ripped off, crashed off, however you want to uh, uh, describe it, with only three uh, casualties that could have been infinitely much worse.
1: Yes, and we should note also... We are in no way supported by the Boeing corporation on this program.
0: No, no, we're not, we just like them. All right. Um, The second group of people that actually do uh, need to get uh, some recognition is the cabin crew, the flight attendants on the Asiana flight because they stayed on board that aircraft while it was starting to burn. they got every able-bodied person Mm -hmm. off of the aircraft Mm -hmm. that was there. They're trained to do this. And I wanna Mm -hmm. give the the cabin crew uh, kudos for this. And to remind people of this, the next time that their flight attendant on a flight has to tell them for the third or fourth time to fully stuff their luggage (laughs) underneath the seat in front and to turn off their their device. They are there for your safety, not for, for your comfort and to serve you. Um, That's just ancillary and they did their jobs and then the third group of people that kept this from becoming a a infinitely more horrible tragedy was the brave men and women in the San Francisco crash and rescue crew who ran towards a burning aircraft spewing thousands of pounds of jet fuel To get the last of the passengers out that could not get out on their own Mm -hmm. they the, their uh, uh, training and their dedication and their just her- heroism helped keep this from uh, being a worse tragedy than it was. No, I
1: didn't follow that aspect. Of it. I presume they had to enter the aircraft and pull these people out.
0: Some of them did. Yes, they they were on board and they were they were uh, uh, there were reports that they were literally cutting them out of the twisted seats. Oh wow! Th- uh, with their knives, mm-hmm. um, and they had to get in close to to the aircraft to. Um, to douse the flames. Oh, I should note, Vlado, that uh, there's been some
1: criticism of the fact that apparently one of the one of the passengers was killed by a, an emergency or by a fire truck trying to get to the plane. But I guess that's something you have to expect. It's a horrible,
0: horrible tragedy. I can't see how it could have been avoided because they need the fire rescue crews need to get to the airplane. You can't set a perimeter around a crashed aircraft expecting that some passengers were thrown out, and you're going to lose lives when seconds count getting the fire equipment and the rescue equipment close to the aircraft.
1: And I guess they have some pretty specialized equipment that's designed to go out and like, punch a hole in the
0: plane or something? Yes, they do, and during a a training session in um, a a few years ago, I was uh, lucky enough to ride along in a crash and rescue truck where it has a huge, 15 foot long prong on the nose of it, pointed end, made out of hardened metal, and it's designed to come up to the fuselage of the aircraft, the intact fuselage, just like it was at the Asiana crash in San Francisco, punch a hole in the belly of the aircraft or wherever it needs to, back up and then put a hose into that hole and douse the compartment the lower compartment, um, which may or may be on fire, with a uh, fire suppressant, and then the other thing is just getting the firefighters up to the airplane. You, you, they they had to get there on trucks. It's a horrible, horrible tragedy. I I can't even imagine what the individuals are going through, but they were on their way to save lives, and sure. they did save lives. Sure, sure.
1: Let's let's talk about the blame here. There's a lot of stuff on the internet, and I know you and I've sent some messages back and forth about. A guy that said we got some problems here with Asian, and again, he also alluded to, to KAL and saying there may be some problems in how they're training their pilots. And uh, I know you've got some experience in this area working alongside some of these individuals, and uh, well, let's talk about that.
0: The, the first uh, that I had uh, encountered uh, uh, this was actually in reading uh, Malcolm Gladwell's books, um, uh, Tipping Point and Outlier. And I read all three of them to get blank. I read all three of them one after the other. So so in my mind, they're all kind of like the same long book. And he covered this quite well, especially in with uh, KL. And what he had come up with and determined was uh, the... Latin American cultures and the uh, Asian cultures have what he called an authority index, yeah. if you will. And, and this actually plays quite a bit in, in, into the cockpit because in the cockpit, you've got the captain and you've got the rest of the crew. In the modern jets, a first officer. And in these cultures where there's a high authority index, the first officer, usually the younger person, does not countermand the captain. The United States of America has the lowest authority index. I'll, I'll give you an example. Is a John Wayne film. We've looked at it many times <laughs> in training and I believe it's the high and the mighty. Okay. Are you familiar with the clip I'm, that I'm, I'm talking not, about? No. John Wayne, it's a black and white clip. John Wayne, the Duke himself plays a co-pilot on an airline and the captain's just absolutely losing it. John Wayne stands up out of his seat grabs the captain by the cuff, starts slapping him back and forth across the face (laughs) to get his attention, says something along the line of, get a hold of yourself, pushes him back down, and then goes back and sits down in his seat. (laughs) That is the American authority index, where if the co-pilot sees something wrong, it's his duty. I, as a captain, fully expect my co-pilot to go, hey, you're messing up. In other cultures, that is just not done. Mm-hmm. This is one of the cultures that has historically, that has not done. And from the initial reports, the Asiana f- uh, flight lost 30 knots of airspeed. We should mention, remind folks, I- I'm a pilot. I've only
1: got about 300 hours. I'm not a-, a commercial pilot like you, of course. and But I know a thing or two about flying. And I, and, and I've talked to people about this. They say stallhorns weren't the weren't there stallhorns going up wasn't somebody else saying uh excuse me captain we're going way slow and way low i mean what the hell
0: you would think you would think and it's it's such a basic private pilot day one flying lesson 101 thing of airspeed is life mm-hmm. and the 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 biggest mistake you could make is coming in too low and too slow yeah and yet they did it
1: let's just talk about this there, there's an allegation on the web that these guys just aren't seat-of-the-pants flyers if you're if you're in china or in korea you're you it's not like america where you go to yolo airport or or you know mm-hmm. davis airport and and fly around they don't have that option they just don't take private planes and fly around so they don't they don't become pilots the way people do here. They they're just not flyers as you as maybe as yes. you will. Yes. So be, there are be their computer guys that push buttons. So the people are pointing out that this guy came in and he wasn't on the computer. They said basically, hey it's clear, you're seventeen miles out, put her down. So the guy's gotta take the yoke and some would say and apparently he was not qualified to just fly the aircraft.
0: Well I wanna I wanna dispel a couple of of things that I saw on the internet. Number one is that that the captain of the flight was still in training That is is not true. The captain was undergoing his OE as we call it Aviation loves acronyms his operating experience some some airlines call it initial operating experience some kind of line, line operating experience He had gone through the entire simulator process. He had been tested. He had gone through uh, uh, checks and had actually received his license to fly that particular type of aircraft, then what happens is once you've done that, depending uh, on on country and depending on company, anywhere from 25 to 50 to 100 hours of your actual flying the line in in revenue, you're a trained Czech airman or instructor pilot flies along with you just to see if you were doing. Now, most of the stuff that I learned during my OEs Uh was paperwork. Okay. What, he was not still learning to fly the aircraft. He was learning the paperwork.
1: But I have to ask. He wasn't still learning to fly the aircraft. Why the hell does a guy come in 30 knots slow and low when he's got 17 miles of clear air in front of him? How does that happen when there's there, there's three other guys... Well, they're, they're, how many were in the cockpit? Three well,
0: or four? That's unclear. Do we know? There were four four flight crew members yeah, on the aircraft. Four guys up in the cockpit. The, the other two may have been sitting sitting in in the back because the other two are the relief crew. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt that there's only two. However, here it gets complicated again, and we're going to a cultural uh, cultural thing. Mm-hmm. You've got the new captain who's in charge of the ship. You've got the Czech airman, who's technically an instructor captain, who's sitting in the right seat, yeah, in the well, co-pilot seat. W- wouldn't he He be the guy to jump in and say, excuse me, sir? Yes, he would. An American captain <sighs> or a Western-trained captain, uh-huh. I should say, or, or Czech airman. would. Would I got yelled at. Yeah, well, that's why he's <laughs> there, isn't it? But how would, that, how would that play in the hierarchy of another culture within a cockpit? One of the most dangerous things in an airplane is two captains. <laughs> Why did they get so slow? I don't know. That will be that will be the telling thing. Well,
1: I mean, okay, they I mean, had
0: many, many, many opportunities to do that. Let me just put a theory out there. Sure. Because in
1: Asian in Asian airlines, they're basically they they get a computer savvy guy, they give him a simulator, they have him push buttons, and they have them learn how to do this. And if all goes well, everything's great. But when he's told take the stick and fly the damn thing, well, it, it would appear that in this guy's case. He just didn't do so good. And it's like, as you say, it's flying 1A. You're really low. You're really slow. Holy crap. Do something about it. He had, if he had 17 miles to come in on a straight visual, you know, he's got the runway in sight. No problem. And he's gone like, what? 120? He's gone too slow. He's Mm -hmm. got like, what? Eight minutes to do something about it?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: What the hell?
0: Lack of stick and rudder experience lack of basic experience i would venture to stay as far as physically manipulating the controls of the aircraft you with your 300 hours of private pilot cessna experience probably have more actual time manipulating the physical controls of the aircraft than uh than the pilot of that jet. Whoa! Hat.
1: i don't want to hear that <laughs>
0: Okay, I've done a, what, a thousand landings, 300 hours
1: I got now at this point, a thousand landings. You, think, you mean to tell me this guy's not actually put the plane down a thousand times?
0: Well, it depends on what you, you consider put the plane down. No, not a simulator, put the plane down. I understand. The Boeing 777 can come in, make the approach, land. Bring the airplane to a complete stop on the center of the runway without any input from the pilots.
1: I know. And if there had been no input from the pilots this time, there probably wouldn't have been a crash. But instead, they told the guy, take the stick.
0: Exactly. Uh, Like you mentioned, in the Far East, you can't go down to Yolo County Airport and rent a Cessna. For less than hundred bucks an hour and take flying lessons and learn to do that. Mm-hmm. They don't have sixteen year old kids who are who, who are sitting there at the airport just, just looking at the airplanes taking off and landing, washing airplanes so they can get a ride from a private pilot. And there they don't have the the hundreds and thousands of hours of experience flying well, small airplanes around scaring themselves to know that, hey, I better not do that again. Well,
1: yeah, someone like you, you, you flew up in Alaska. You were flying yes, small did.
0: planes around Alaska and towing
1: banners and landing on ice and glaciers and, and stuff. And I mean, flight yeah, instructing. Yeah, I mean, so yes. you, there's a lot of ways to go wrong. Yes. And so, and as or later, you're going to be doing some things wrong. And your mission then is to learn how to get out of that situation as quickly as possible. Exactly. And these exactly. guys just don't have
0: that. And now, I also want to explore something, though, that, that, that um, hasn't, hasn't been talked about. The instructor pilot, the Czech airman that was on board, if he had never been an actual flight instructor where he had taught somebody who literally just comes off the street, teaches them how to fly to the point where they can safely operate their own aircraft, that might be a deficiency in itself. Mm -hmm. I spent four and a half years flight instructing. And by the time I was done with my flight instructing career, I could see from like 20 minutes ahead of time what the student was going to do. Wrong correct, mm-hmm. what he was going to do wrong. Mm-hmm. And I could take it to a certain point where I knew I only let him or her get so far into the, out of the envelope, if you will, that I knew I could recover the aircraft or, right. or, or point it out. Right. Four and a half years of doing that with just two people in the cockpit and a small, small airplane, that's a lot of experience. That a Czech airman who has not had that experience, hasn't had that many take actual takeoffs and landings themselves that aren't fully automated or even partially automated may not have seen the 30 knots too slow, too low. My reaction to this, you can you can, you
1: can can voice an opinion as to whether I'm overreacting, is to say this. I'm not flying on Asiana ever, and I'm probably not going to, because of this cultural matter, I'm probably not going to fly on an Asian carrier with two exceptions from what I understand on the web. I understand Cathay Pacific and Singapore both pick their pilots on the basis of experience, not on the basis of their nationality, and they can probably be trusted. I'm not sure about the others. I personally have no intention of flying on Asian airlines in the future.
0: Am I overreacting? You are probably not overreacting. Um, I like the Western, uh, particularly the uh, airlines of the United States of America, and you'll be very surprised to hear a uh, professional airline pilots say this but one of the reasons is is because of our Federal Aviation Administration because of the regulations that we have that keeps us safer and I know it's 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 surprising well, to, to hear it from anyone, one of the regulations. Never Tried to read the FA regulations that does come as a bit of a surprise to me yeah, it's. I am one of the regulated <laughs> and I like it All because right. it does keep us safer there are, there are strict rules on everything that you can... In fact, I would venture to say that the only more regulated industry in the United States is nuclear power plants.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's, they're there for a reason. And every regulation, Doug, as you know, has been written in blood.
1: Mm, Somebody
0: yeah. somewhere along in the past 100 or so years uh, made a mistake and the, the NTSB investigated or its predecessors investigated the Civil Aviation Administration and came up with a rule. Hey, maybe we should have a rule that that doesn't happen anymore. Right, right. And it'll be interesting to see when we when we, when we we have the full report from the NTSB on this crash if one of the basic rules that's been instituted, and that's what we call the sterile cockpit below 10,000 feet, was actually uh, 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 enforced uh, in the Asiana flight. Whenever a, a jet is below 10,000 feet, the pilots are prohibited from any non-essential communication. It doesn't mean we can't talk, but we only talk about aviation flying that instance. We don't talk about the ball game or whether the, where the layover is or uh, what we're going to have for dinner tonight. It's strictly aviation. Why? Because that's the high workload, and that's where you don't want to be talking about the ball game or where you're going to go in San Francisco after a 14-hour flight across the Pacific and then realize that you're 30 knots too slow and your tail just hit the, uh, the seawall.
1: Well, it's been an interesting talk. We need to, I guess, wrap it up because we we could talk about this probably for hours. I think, but um, in closing, there's a couple oddities about this um, that I think we need to clarify. Well, you and I talked about this in preparation for, for actually doing some recording. Uh, this really is a very big screw up because it, you know you're Colossal. supposed you're not supposed to land like right on the numbers. I mean, I, you, people that are showing off, I guess Chuck Yeager and people used to you know brag about they'd put it right down the numbers, but in a jet like this. You got to be down the runway a bit. The fact that they were, the fact they had a problem, you know,
0: at the seawall is bad. Yes, the uh, uh, a modern transport category jet. When when we land, we don't land at the beginning of the runway. Our our aiming point is 1,000 feet down the runway. Right. So if you figure run the runway 28 there in San Francisco, it had a displaced threshold, which means that the runway did not start right at the seawall. Mm-hmm. There was about 500 feet there. Then you got another 30 or 40 feet. He wasn't 30 feet too short. <laughs> he was nearly 1,500 feet too short. And how you could do that by w- w- looking out the window is just, I do not understand it. A private pilot would have been able to do better. Well, y- yes. When you, w- it,
1: I think we should just clarify. This is most people who are not pilots. When you're looking out the window, when you're looking down at the runway you're trying to land on, I mean, this, it doesn't matter whether you're in San Francisco or Detroit or, or, or UC Davis, whatever field you're landing on, it should look a certain way. I mean, the, the, there's a bigger runway and a smaller runway, a wider, a narrower, but yet... yet it should have a certain look that's going to look right. Exactly. And that plane, looking out the front of that plane, it could
0: not possibly have looked even remotely right. It, it, it couldn't have. And and the fact that this was the pilot's first time landing there is, is completely irrelevant, As as you just mentioned. It's a piece of concrete about four or five miles away once you get everything set up and configured. And looking out the window, it just... It did, It could not have looked right. They were going too slow. They were getting too low. The picture, the sight picture, as we call it, and that's literally looking out the window. What what picture of the runway do you see? And it should look like every other landing you've yeah, ever right, done, right, even right. if you were doing it or the autopilot was doing it. And coming in 30 knots too slow, that means to, the, the the nose would have started climbing higher and higher. Which, in, in which the, by all accounts, it was doing. It was, correct. And the runway itself... <laughs> Would have been climbing higher and higher and higher within the frame of the windshield as you were getting too low from every <laughs> other landing you've ever done. Oh, and man. it's just co- – it's Whew. mind-boggling how the this could in the, have back happened. Of my
1: just to stand up thinking about this. It's like, wow. I hope some good things will come out of this, and particularly in the Asian airlines.
0: Yes, yes, um, they will. And that is why I ask, uh, I'd like people to be patient for the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board report, because they do a very, very, very thorough job of of studying every detail of what, what happened in the crash, what caused it, and all uh, contributing factors. And then we will, in the aviation industry, study this for years and years and years to come to make sure that it does not happen again. From initial... Um, reports it seems like it was completely avoidable. We've well, been speaking with our aviation correspondent Captain Vladimir
1: Zerovika. Always a pleasure, Vlado. Come back soon. I will, whenever you want me. All right. Oh,
0: big old